Want to advertise your business in a cost-effective way? It's time to give podcast advertising a try. Research shows a high rate of podcast listeners made a purchase as a result of an ad they heard on a podcast. Visit podbean.com slash brands to launch a cost-effective podcast advertising campaign in minutes. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands. Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. Well, look who's back. And refreshed. Time, man. And refreshed and smiling. So I was going through your Instagram and I... Hold, hold on, hold on. Break, 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 break. Wheeler, your um, mic... He's on, on the right. wrong mic. Hold on. So, listener, this is our producer, Taylor, and Wheeler's like crashing back into the meeting, can't even get things lined up right. How do I sound now? Is that better? Come on, dude. Get, get the right mic. Is this better? That's better. I think that's it. Can you hear me? Count to five. One, two, three, four, five. Finally, yeah. We, we can hear you. We're glad you're back. I, I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm new to this. Our producer Taylor's in no mood for, the, for this whole <laughs> thing right here. He's got a a uh, congested child at home. Yes, he does. Um, so I'm going through your Instagram. I'm going through Instagram the other night, yeah. and um, I roll across yours, and I just I was shocked, man, because you're you're smiling from ear to ear. It's like I don't know who this guy is. It looks like Wheeler, but. Man, did you bring any of that back? Yeah, and I noticed you, you you trolled me on Instagram and said, I don't think I've ever seen you <laughs> smile so much. And and I said, well, it's either A, that I'm in Hawaii, or B, that I am more than 3,500 miles away from you. <laughs> or both. Or, Maybe or, it's or C. Or C, all of the above, <laughs> right? <laughs> Welcome back, man. Thanks. And I, I'm uh, sure that this smile and this relaxed face will be erased in no time. Yeah, it, it'll be gone by the end of this podcast, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but hey, I, I've been saving. Uh, I've been saving a special brew for oh. you. I've been saving special brew, yeah. and, and I said, you know, this is a perfect time. So uh, I'm having the uh, Shannon Brewing Company. This is uh, from Keller, Texas. Oh. It's the Irish Red. Okay, and now why have you been saving that one? I don't know because uh, you know what? For as embarrassing as this is, my wife laughs at me all the time. But um, Red Lobster. I haven't been in a number of years, yeah. but in the nineties, they had a, a red beer there and it was great. And, <laughs> and I just, I, I remember that. And I, I've liked, uh, I've liked these, these red lagers, uh, it's amber ales, what it is, not a red lager. So you beer guys don't, uh, don't troll me on, <laughs> on Twitter, but this is, this is from the Shannon Brewing Company. Uh, looking forward to cracking it open here and, uh, going to raise a toast to your return. Although I don't know if it's going to be the same having your red beer there when you don't have those Cheddar Bay biscuits to wash down, you know. The, those were delicious. Oh, oh my gosh, this is good stuff. They're, I haven't had those in years, but they're amazing. The the, the Admiral's Feast is what I used to. <laughs> the Admiral's it. Feast. Wow, that's a it plate full. Stuff, my, I, I remember it as being fantastic. I haven't been back to Red Lobster in a number of years, but I should go back and This episode is not sponsored today? by Red Lobster, by I know. The way. You would think. Right? Uh, uh, today I'm having, I'm popping open a uh, Shiner Sea Salt and Lime, uh, which I've had before, uh, and it uh, it just spoke to me today. I think it was that sea salt part <laughs> because I am missing the beach, to be honest with you, you know. I thought you'd be back, bring back a uh, Hawaiian beer. Maybe. I did not. Uh, there were some there. Uh, I just, I didn't. Huh. So here we are. Well, we are back to uh, serious stuff. Yeah. So uh, the smile has already gone off Wheeler's face. It's, it's now, leaving as, as we as speak. We, as, we, <laughs> as we speak here, too, because, uh, you know, you guys are seeing the headlines yeah. here, and the headlines showing 
that the number of COVID cases is increasing. Yeah. The good news to all this is the number of serious cases uh, is, is not very high, uh, but the number of vaccinations still needs to improve. Mm-hmm. I have family members who aren't vaccinated. I, I'm, I'm done trying to convince them. I mean, they, they know what's going on. They know the, the benefits of this, uh, who all has taken it, et cetera. So that information is out there. But what's concerning as we close in on the month of August here is the start of school. Yeah. What will that look like? Because politically, this thing has gotten you know kind of hairy again because Governor Abbott has said he will absolutely not let any government entity, including school districts, mm-hmm. mandate that people wear masks, and that kids wear masks and the teachers wear masks. And, you know, there's that political end of it, you know, and that debate goes on and on and it feels like it's endless. Um, but then there's also just the, you know, the everyday life. I'm just trying to survive and make sure my family survives and trying to stay healthy. And this thing ain't over, you know, like you keep, you keep looking around and you think it's, it's not 2019 or 2018, but we're moving around again, like it is. And, and it's not over yet. And so you have kids, I have kids, a lot of Texans do. It's a very young state. Uh, and there's a lot of concerns as we go through these next several weeks because, you know, here we are heading off into the unknown again. It's like deja vu. I remember having this conversation with the superintendent of Dallas ISD last year this time saying, what do you expect for school? And he was talking about virtual school and some kids would be coming back later on. They were having to delay the start of school. What would that look like? What would it feel like? What would parents' anxiety be like? What would kids' anxiety be like? Fast forward 12 months, here we are again, and it's kind of like deja vu again. So who do we call? We have Dr. Michael Hinojosa on the line again. He's a superintendent of 147,000 students at Dallas ISD, one of the largest school districts in Texas. Dr. Hinojosa, our, our listener, cannot see this because you're on a Zoom call here with us, but you, you've grown a little uh, a little beard there from the uh, for summer, I guess. I mean, it looks good on you. Well, it's a little holiday growth. It'll be gone soon. A little holiday growth. <laughs> uh, well, let's let's dive into uh, start of school is coming up very, very soon here. Um, and I remember talking to you. It doesn't seem that long ago. Just one year ago, we were talking about all the uncertainty and confusion around what the start of school would look like last year. And now it seems like it's almost worse than that this year. Is that the case? Well, there are a lot of moving parts, no doubt. And, you know, the, what's clear is that we have to be in person, but what's not clear is how we're going to be able to execute on that. And with the fact that we have three different calendars, parents are going to have to go to websites and we got people that are moving here and moving around. And so it is more complex than what we were, where we were a year ago, despite the fact that the progress has been made on, on the virus. You, you said three different calendars. Tell me what that means. I'm only used to one calendar for DISD. Mm-hmm. Well, we have, because of mitigating learning loss, we really went out to our community and we had a large group of people working with us and five campuses chose to completely reinvent their calendar where they would stretch out their whole year, almost in a year round school. And then we had another 40 campuses that are going to go to school for five weeks and they're off for an intercession and they go to school for five weeks and they're off for an intercession. In the meantime, we're going to catch kids up that are behind. Not everybody's going to be required to go during those intercessions or during the off times. It's just the students that are behind. And then the next week, all of the other uh, 150 campuses will start. So it's going to be complex. Everybody's going to have, I'm going to have three starts of school. So hopefully y'all have me on TV three times going to schools, getting schools started. 
So, so, so there's a lot going on here, a lot of moving parts. And as Jason said, we're getting really close to the start of all of this. Dr. Hinojosa, the last time we talked with you, we were talking about this whole issue of in-person learning versus virtual learning. It seems like that's still a live conversation as we head into yet another school year, even though the state has been pretty firm about wanting all of these kids back in the classroom. Are all of your kids going to be back in the classroom uh, as we start this new school year? Basically, yes, with one exception. We are going to start the hybrid school um, where kids will be in person, uh, bricks and mortar, two days a week, and they will be virtual three days a week. Now, we have not gotten permission from the state on a waiver for funding that school, but we're going to do it anyway, even if we had to fund it out of our own dollars because we have parents who want to do it. We have a principal, we have a campus, but that's the one exception. Now, what also is very confusing is that many districts, including us and Frisco and Louisville and, and Richardson, wanted to have a virtual option for about 5% of our kids because for that 5%, virtual learning was very good. And we had a bill that passed the house and it died in the Senate at the last minute. And it was not even on the call for special session. So we don't have that option going forward, except for that one small hybrid school that we have in, you know, in, uh, in Northwest Dallas. If there is no virtual backup option, what happens if a student or a teacher or any faculty member has to quarantine for 10 days? Well, that's gonna be a huge dilemma. You, you hit, the, hit the nail on the head. They can't come back to school. Now, luckily we have devices and we have curriculum and we've learned a lot in the last couple of years, but we're not gonna ask our teachers to have what we call uh, synchronous instruction, teaching kids on a computer and then having others in the classroom. So you ask a great question. So they're gonna to have to catch up at home hmm. when they're at home in the evenings and the afternoons and getting support. Just like if you were out sick with, you know, for three days with the flu. But now you got to stay out much longer. And so, but there is not a virtual option. This is precisely why we wanted that bill to pass that didn't pass at the last minute. Then we could have had a solution for those kids that were ill and couldn't come to school. But right now, we're just going to have to use a lot of muscle and those kids will fall behind. And if the teachers contracted, obviously they can't be here. We'll have to hire a lot more substitute teachers to handle that. So we, we have contingency plans because safety is the most important thing. But it will impact our learning loss recovery if we have a lot of cases. And the variant is really concerning a lot of people. So we know there's going to be an, another special session coming up here, uh, what, August 8th, I believe. Um, any chance that you guys are lobbying to get the governor to add this to uh, his call? We are lobbying hard. Um, and we're getting some support on part of the leadership, but not all the leadership is there. And so we think this is important. It's probably too late to stand up something for this year, but uh, several districts have written letters. We signed on with Frisco and the urban districts and many suburban districts in the state to get this back on the call. But right now we're getting indications it's not going to be considered. Well, and what's the political argument against it? Because, uh, I mean, some parents probably do want to have their kids attend virtually. Why, why are some people against that politically? Well, politically, because you've kept up with the narrative that certain people are pushing, everybody has to be back in school full-time all the time. And that doesn't rub right with certain parts of the leadership. We think that we agree with them on 95% of the kids, but for the other 5%, that needs to be a viable option. Charter schools can do it. You know, 
you know, actually the Texas virtual network can do it. And we'd rather have our kids with our teachers in our schools participating in that kind of virtual environment. Um, but that's, in fact, I read something where Texas Tech is going to be doing that option for schools. Why does why doesn't Lubbock ISD and Dallas ISD and and Louisville ISD have that option? That's that's the concern that we have. Dr. Hinos, I want to talk about uh, one of the tools that, that you won't have as you start a new school year, and that is that you cannot mandate masks. Uh, the governor has been very clear about that. Um, we've seen the vaccination rate here in Texas. Uh, it is below 50 percent for fully vaccinated uh, we've seen the number of cases and the positivity rate recently spiking again. Uh, we've got this Delta variant, which is very easy to catch. Give me your thoughts. Uh, you know, when you think about all of those different metrics as we head into this school year and, you know, heading off in, into the unknown of another school year. Well, obviously, I don't agree with the governor. I agree with him on a lot of things. I don't agree with him on this one. In fact, we were very concerned that at the end of last year, we got the rug pulled out from under us because we stayed late and we had to finish late. All of a sudden, the last two weeks, we couldn't enforce the mass mandate. You know, I get that for level land or Dumas, Texas, but for a big district that had been implementing mask wearing very well, we thought that was unfortunate. And now worse, we start the school year and all the statistics that you just provided are the reasons why we feel that we should have that option. Now, we're going to encourage uh, students to wear it and staff members to wear it, but we can't mandate it. And so people are going to have to just comply. And a lot of our young students can't be, our young students can't be vaccinated. I don't know how many of our 12-year-olds and up have been vaccinated, and we can't really even ask that. So it is going to be confusing. You guys are bringing up some very legitimate points, but we can't sit around and whine about it. We got we to gotta lead. We got to make sure our people come back, and safety is the most important thing to us. You mentioned trying to get all the students back. Um, I know last year I asked you the same question, and that was how many students do you think are going to take off to smaller private schools or, or how many do you expect to leave smaller private schools and come back to DISD? Um, what are you expecting this year as far as enrollment? Because I know it's kind of it's kind of plateaued and then kind of trickled down just a hair every year for the past decade or so. Yeah, well, we're getting more students that want to go to our specialty schools, our transformation, innovation, and magnet schools. We're losing a lot of kids from our neighborhood schools. That's why we're asking the neighborhood schools to reinvent themselves. And Jason, you're going to have to be patient with me this year because I just described the calendars. Usually by, you know, we have false positives, but usually by the ninth day of enrollment, we know where we're going to be. We think we're getting a lot of the pre-Kers that are going to come back. We lost 3,000 pre-K students. We're getting those. But remember, a lot of these kids missed pre-K, so they're going to be kindergartners all at the same time. But we are getting a lot of families signing up for pre-K. So we budgeted 147,000 students. I think we'll, we'll get to 148, maybe 149, which is still less than what we've had for many years. I think we won't really know until well after Labor Day what the numbers are going to shake out. And some people are going to wait and see. Are there going to be uh, spikes in cases? And then they're going to go another direction. And if we have this under control, which I wish we had the mask, then maybe more will say, okay, I'm willing to try it now. So this is, this is going to be an interesting case study for the month of August for sure. 
Okay, so that addresses, you know, how many kids might be coming back. Let's talk about how many adults might be coming back because we keep seeing these headlines that, you know, one in four or one in five teachers want to quit their jobs. How hard has it been to retain? What are you looking at? Well, actually, we're an anomaly on this because when I first came back the year I came before I came back, we had a 25 percent turnover rate in teachers. This year, we're anticipating a 13 percent turnover rate in teachers. Part of it is our teacher compensation thing is working very well. And part of it is, you know, culture trumps strategy. So we've really worked with our principals about how you treat people. And and so we, I bet if you ask another urban district this, it'd probably give you a different answer. So and a lot of people are worried about it. And we are worried about it. But our numbers are telling us something different. Uh, and so right now, we don't have a lot of vacancies. And we had very little turnover in principals. But also, let me tell you also, we're different. Because we had such a churn in teachers and principals five or six years ago, a lot of our teachers and principals are young. They don't have the option to retire and and they're getting paid pretty well. So they're staying and they're staying with us longer. So right now, I'm not worried about that piece of it, but who knows when it when actually we start in person to see what happens. Dr. Hinoza, uh, can first of all, how many years have you been in education total? I've been in education for 42 years. I've been a superintendent for 27 years and I've been in Dallas for 13 years. But who's counting? That's almost as long as Wheeler has been <laughs> rollerblading, too, I think. <laughs> yeah, it is actually uh, close to. Uh, so, you know, with all of those years of experience, uh, how would you rank last year as far as challenges go relative to all the other years you've done it? Was last year the hardest one you've you presided over? Well, I'm going to go even back a little bit further. Um, the last 18 months have been just crazy, like nothing else. We had a tornado, which you guys reported on. We had a pandemic, and then we had a snowmageddon. And none of those things were on my calendar. <laughs> and those were not in our strategic plan. And you have to deal with those things. But like I said, nobody wants a whiner. We had to figure it out on the fly, and you guys were reporting on it. I'm very proud of our teams and our people who helped us manage all those things. But it was a huge challenge. It was a year like no other. And hopefully we got that behind us. But you guys are pointing out some things that we, you know, that could make even this year a little precarious. I was going to ask you, could this year actually be more of a challenge just because there are so many unknowns? And I mean, you're starting off a school year with three different calendars. Well, it's my expectation that it's not. You know, we do have operation connectivity that we've made a lot of progress on in case there is a problem. Um, and of course, we'll ask the state for waivers if things start going bad. And they, they complied last time. And we got lucky that the feds came through with some money. So we're not doing this on the cheap. You know, luckily we have some federal resources to get this thing done. So my expectation is that it's not worse, but you have to, you prepare for the worst and you expect the best. And that's how you manage these kinds of crises and things that are, that are unplanned and uncontrolled. Dr. Hinojosa, as a parent of two kids in elementary school, uh, I, I'm a little concerned. I think there are a lot of people who are also falling uh, with me on this about what happens if my kid gets sick? Kind of going back to that question about no virtual backup option. If my kid gets sick or if my kid just has to quarantine because somebody else got sick uh, around my child, uh, my work is not being as flexible maybe as they were last year. What, what, are, what are my options as a parent at this point? Well, you know, for you and I, Jason, and I have grandkids, and so we have some flexibility and and we we can work virtually. That's not the case for a lot of our parents. A lot of our parents have to work, they're hourly workers, they have to be on the job site. So it's even exacerbated for 
for our parents. And so we, that's one of the reasons that we with part of our federal dollars, we're hiring 1800 tutors. So those tutors can help kids and we're going to prioritize the ones that miss instruction. And we're going to do that during the day, after school, you know, in the summer, on the weekends. And so that's part of our strategy to help the ones that get into this kind of situation where they just can't be of school. <clears throat> and we'll have to handle those on a case by case basis. But that's yet that's yet another unknown as we enter into this. Luckily, there are not a lot of cases that happen at school. But now with the people who are not vaccinated, you know, that that creates another dilemma with this new variant. That's eye popping to me when I hear 1800 tutors. But, you know, I'm not in your world. Is that a lot? That's a lot compared to normal. It's going to take us three years to hire them all. And and so and all the suburbs are going to be looking for them. But we've got a definite strategy. We've got a couple of things working that we've learned from Guilford County, North Carolina, where we're training the trainers and we're training college students to train our high school students. We we are we're stopping nowhere to try to get that kind of support because we need that as a contingency plan. Not only a contingency plan, it's part of our recovery plan. If you have any classes for rollerblading, I'm sure Wheeler could uh, find some time in the schedule to, to I tutor teach. kids on, I on could teach that. Actually, but, uh, actually, I need for you guys to do the esports classes. I know y'all are probably <laughs> thinking. Hey, uh, I, I want to ask you about entering schools. Um, are, are parents allowed to go into schools if they have kindergartners, stuff like that? Um, are there temperature checks since masks aren't required? Um, well, what should a parent expect first day of school? Well, we're going to be more flexible than we were last year. Um, we're going to expect them to wear a mask. We can't mandate it. We're not going to be able to do temperature checks. It's no longer efficient and effective. We're going to ask people to self-check, but, you know, that, that's on the honor system. But we do want, you know, one of the things that a lot of people haven't talked about is the mental health of these kids. Mm-hmm. You know, when they've been this separated, now everybody's back. Um, and so we don't want the parents to be afraid to come to the school. Uh, now, we're going to ask them to follow our rules, um, but we got to start getting a little bit of normalcy. And we just got to monitor if there's a problem, then we got to pivot very quickly so we don't make the problem worse. How about extracurriculars and events and stuff like that? Is it going to be you know, pretty much back to normal again? As much as possible. The biggest fear we have, luckily, we're starting with outdoor sports mostly. Um, with with cross country and football. And we didn't actually have that many cases in football. Now, volleyball, at least the girls are separated, so they're not all bunched up. What we worry about are the indoor sports in the winter. Basketball is a contact sport. And those are the ones that create more problems for us. So hopefully by then, we'll, have, we'll be in a much better place with, with uh, even the variant and we'll have a better solution. But, but we want normalcy. And you know we do want our kids to be involved in extracurricular activities. So, we're going to give it a shot, and we got to be ready to pivot whenever the data tells us to pivot. You've talked about waivers several times through here. Um, what types of waivers can Dallas ISD, Plano, Houston, all these different districts across the state, what can they apply for, and, and how would that you know, help me as a parent? Well, what I'm applying for first is the waiver for this virtual school, so we'll get funded for it. And the commissioner hadn't said yes, but he hasn't said no, and he's, he's asking for more information. So... I know we're still under consideration. Well, let me ask about that. So even though the the legislature didn't appropriate money for that, you can still apply for a waiver, and there's still a possibility that that a district might be able to have virtual school? Well, we're asking the waive is seat time, because right now we don't get funding unless a student is in the seat. So we're asking for that provision. If they are still, if we can prove they're engaged in learning, 
then can we get the funding for that? So that's one waiver. Another example of a waiver, let's say that five schools get hit hard um, because, uh, and then we have to shut them down, the kids go home. We would ask for a waiver to not penalize those five campuses because they have a lot of students that are missing school. Another example of a waiver, let's say if if this thing gets bad and ugly, we would be what the situation we were in last year is don't penalize us if this is out of our control and we have to shut down. So we do have that vehicle and the commissioner has that authority um, based upon specific circumstances uh, to grant those waivers. We talked about how Texas has a low vaccination rate, uh, and there's been a big push to sort of meet people where they are to see if maybe you can get more shots in arms. Some of your students are old enough to be eligible for vaccines, and certainly their parents. Uh, Has there been some consideration to offering some of these sort of pop-up vaccine sites at school? We actually have uh, school-based health centers, but we actually have registered nurses who can actually administer these vaccines on our campuses, and the, the county's doing that. But remember, vaccine, you say the word vaccine, and two groups of people run. You know, some people that have you know, philosophical view against it, and then you have, we have a lot of immigrant parents, and mm-hmm. a lot of immigrant parents trust no government. And so getting them to get vaccinated is a challenge for us. It's a different challenge in Keller and other places that may have a different uh, population. But the county has been, they have been warriors about getting this set up. So has Walmart. We have multiple places and people to do this. We just have to overcome the fears of people who don't want to do it. But that's something that we will see at different campuses, though, where there will be these sort of vaccine sites set up, not only for students, but also for their parents if they wish to get a shot. Absolutely. We're begging them to come with their students to get their shot. And we'll have multiple opportunities at multiple sites to get that executed. So what are you most concerned about right now? I'm I'm more most concerned is how do we how do we make sure that we catch the students up Um, and how do we deal with the mental health of some of these kids that have been away for so long, Uh, 18 months, you know, and and so I'm worried about those two conflating things coming together. And and so. you know, because it's hard to learn when you're worried about something. You know? right. So uh, we've got to deal with both issues at the same time. And we've got to catch up um, because these kids need to have an equal equals chance at life. And they won't if we don't catch them up. For, for Dallas ISD specifically, though, did, did the passage retention rate, did that change at all last year? Well, it, it, it changed a little bit. But you know what I was really worried about? And, and you guys reported on it. In April, we only had like 64% of our seniors on track to graduate but by the end of the year we got 90 percent of them but that's because we had laser-like focus to get those kids in and we incentivized behavior that we wanted we had we paid for their proms we did all these things we told them they could graduate in person and that got those that senior class now we got more time with the rest of the kids but i tell you i'm really proud of our despite this pandemic our p-tech students uh, we graduated 72% of our P-TECH students got their associate's degree in four years, and 10% of our senior class got an associate's degree despite this pandemic. So despite the challenges, our, our staff, our people, our principals, our teachers all stepped up, and our partners did too. Even in P-TECH, you know, they, they pivoted. Accenture, AT&T, they started having virtual uh, uh, 
mentoring for the students. And so everybody learned how to operate in this context and hopefully we're beyond the worst part now. Dr. Hinojosa, I remember last year as we were heading into the school year, there were different educators who were really worried and, and they felt like they weren't getting enough guidance or they felt like they were getting conflicting guidance. It seems like there's still the issue of conflicting guidance when you look at federal guidance versus what's happening at the state level. Uh, but a lot, of, a lot of them last year felt like they were sort of going it alone, that they were reaching out to peers and finding out what are you doing, what should we be doing differently, and sort of sharing best practices. Do you feel like you're going it alone? Do you, does it feel like last year, or, or has that changed? Well, we're going at it together. I have weekly call, monthly calls with the county superintendents, with the urban superintendents. I have weekly calls with the national superintendents. We're going it together, but we are going against conflicting information. You know, because we're in a, you guys do politics. We're in a blue city in a purple county in a red state. And you would think that all the health officials would have the same. Well, state of Texas says no mask. CDC recommends, strongly recommends that you keep wearing masks. And now you have pediatricians are saying the same thing. So, yes, we are still getting conflicting information, but we got to collaborate as much as possible as superintendents so that we don't confuse the public and we try to do as much of it, but everything is contextually different. What I do in Dallas, they may not be able to do in Richardson. And so we agree as much as we can and then we deviate when we have to. Here's my last question I have for you. When do you expect news back about the waivers as far as virtual school goes? The good thing about Commissioner Morath, he responds pretty quickly as soon as he's very smart, he's, he'll team, makes, ask for all the data he needs. and. Those will be on an ad hoc basis as those issues pop up. He's pretty responsive. Uh, usually in a week or two or 10 days, we'll get an answer as to whether or not we'll get the hold harmless coverage for uh, enrollment or attendance. And, and the, T, the TEA commissioner, Mike Morath, used to be a Dallas ISD school board member. Do you ever just call him up on the cell phone and say, hey, come on, what's going on here? Do you, do you, ever, do you ever give him a shout? We do have that kind of relationship. <laughs> sometimes it's a text. Sometimes it's at six in the morning. And, and we do bounce stuff off of each other uh, because we have a relationship. Well, that, that, that is a competitive advantage that I have that other people might not have access to them as much as I do. It is good to have that cell number, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. <laughs> Blow it up when you need to. Uh, I have one more for you. Uh, you know, this has been such a strange period and, it, you know, it's been hard for students, hard for teachers. We've seen it in the testing and so forth. We know it's been hard for administrators too. Has all of this, though, improved? education in any way, you know, just what you've had to go through and how you've had to have that laser-like focus coming out of this. Do you think that there are lessons learned that you go, you know, this, this actually taught us some things? Well, no doubt about it. In fact, I tell my staff all the time, we've taken that rubber band and we stretched it. And because we stretched it, we've got this creative tension and we've learned some things and we're doing things differently. The last thing we can do is let it snap back. You guys can watch something as it rolls out. I kept asking this rhetorical question, why would I ever suspend a student again? And my staff, what I was expecting to bring me back is that, well, if a student gets suspended, we'll put them over here and we'll have all the tools. That's not what they brought me back. They brought me back a whole different concept on restorative justice and how we change behavior and how even in-school suspension is going to be a reset center. And we're, we're trying this at, at full scale at all secondary schools. I don't know if it's going to work or not. You guys can report on this all year. And, and is it going to work? 
But I was very proud that my team came up with a very creative solution under very uh, under duress, under duress for me and everybody else about how to do something differently now that we've learned from this crisis. Hmm. But that sounds like it would have nothing to do with COVID, but it does. But it does, because we wouldn't even have thought about asking the question, because I knew we had a solution, but they came up with a better solution using all these toys and all the stuff we learned during this time. So, and you'll get to watch it in real time as it rolls out and how we implement hmm. this you know, over the next year. See, that's a whole nother podcast. You're dropping a news bomb on us here at the very end of the interview. We, we appreciate how I roll though. (laughs) Hey, we appreciate the time. We're going to look for you at all three uh, opening days for Dallas ISD. And and thanks as always. Are you going to have that uh, beard? Is it going to be gone by the time? No, it's going to be gone. I'm old enough as it is. I don't need to exacerbate the age. I don't know. As someone who has really uh, a lot of trouble growing a full one, uh, yours looks really nice. I think you should keep it. I would if I had it. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Take care. We'll see you. So, uh, Wheeler, can you match that beard that Dr. Hinojosa has, man? I mean, you just got back. You're clean shaven. Did you grow anything? I cannot. Uh, I actually uh, still haven't shaved. I mean, it's been two weeks. What you're looking at is two weeks of growth, which looks like a bare very smooth face. No, I, I did put some on and um, eventually I got rid of most of it and just left kind of a goatee. Uh, but it uh, really? it just doesn't it, it doesn't grow in like Dr. Hinojosis does. I'm a little bit jealous. Is Mrs. Wheeler okay with uh, you growing a goatee? Yeah, I mean, nobody else has any choice in that matter. I mean, they're not the ones who have to of run course. the razor across their face. Yes, they don't <laughs> have to kiss me, but uh, nobody else has to run the razor across their face. And there's just something liberating about you know, a vacation where you don't have to do that. But I digress uh, because we have somebody else we need to talk to about this. Uh, You know, as we head into this school year, uh, as we mentioned, a lot of parents, uh, you know, have anxieties right now and and rightfully so. Uh, And teachers, uh, same thing. I mean, this is their workplace. You know, we just heard from Dr. Hinojosa. They're doing a good job of retaining theirs uh, in Dallas ISD right now. But we know that a lot of school districts have been struggling to hold on to their educators because it is a tough environment for them to be working in right now. And so we've got Susie Kennan on the line with us. She is the president of the Texas PTA. Uh, so she's been talking with all of these folks on, on all ends of the spectrum as we head into another school year. Susie, thank you for taking the time. I know it's a busy time right now. Uh, my curiosity, the first thing I want to know about from you is what? how are you feeling going into this school year? We've been hearing from a lot of parents uh, who are nervous uh, going into this one, maybe more nervous going into this year than they were going into the last school session. I completely agree with them. We're hearing a lot of folks uh, say that the communication this summer hasn't been the same as the communication last summer. So the communication this year has been um, much less than the communication last summer. And parents know that the guidance from TEA isn't as strong. And so I think they're worried about what things are going to look like when we were being um, get receiving emails from school districts, you know, almost weekly last summer saying, here's some updates, here's some things we're considering. We're not exactly sure, but this is what it may look like. At least we had some information, but it feels like this summer we just don't have any of that. And we don't know um, what it's really going to look like when we put our kids back on campus. And what's the deal with that? Why aren't we getting that information, do you think? I think, you know, school districts are probably scrambling to figure out what to, how to make it look when they don't have the guidance coming down from TA about this is exactly how it has to look. Now it falls to them and their school boards to figure out what their policies are going to be and 
um, what um, measures they're still going to use. You know, are they still going to socially distance? Is it going to be three feet, six feet? Are they going to have plexiglass? Are they going to, you know, of course, masks are optional, but, you know, all of those other factors, they're still trying to figure out, I think. And, um, and parents are just anxious to know what that's going to look like. Susie, I have a lot of questions for you. Here's my first question, though. I've been a room dad for <laughs> years, and it, it 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 like saps everything out of me. I love doing it, but it's like it's, it's a second job. How in the world <laughs> do you maintain this? And 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 why did you want to you know be the the president for the statewide PTA? So it's funny because I think I started the same way as a room mom. You know, twenty years yeah. ago when my oldest son was in kindergarten. And, you know, at first it was just all about making Jordan, making sure Jordan had the best experience he could in school. And then we moved to a new state and then it was like, ooh, how can I make friends? <laughs> I don't have a job. How do I make friends? And so um, I went up to the campus and started in volunteering with their PTAs as well. Then I learned that there was this whole other layer where um, we could affect change at the school district level in PTA. And so I started there and and then, you know, of course, got bit by the bug to, to go further and actually um, do it at the state level, not just train our volunteers to be better leaders on their campuses, but affect policy change at the legislature. And so that's kind of got bit by that bug. And um, and I've enjoyed it. It, it. it is a full time job. hundred <laughs> percent. You found that job 100%. for sure. <laughs> Susie, now that masks cannot be mandated by schools, what do you expect compliance to be like? And secondly, do you expect outbreaks of the virus in, in different classrooms or on different campuses? You know, I think it'll be interesting. We had, um, uh, there were, I think that we had more breakouts. It seemed like, um, at the high school level, uh, at least in my school district, it seemed to be around the high school level. Um, so I think it will be interesting to see how that, uh, takes place. I'm a, we're a little concerned because the contact tracing is not mandatory anymore either. And so what does that look like if someone in, in class does get sick? I mean, do we just get the call saying, hey, now we really, really suggest you wear a mask <laughs> instead of just we really suggest you wear a mask? You know, um, so there's a lot of fears. I, 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 it, I think that's back to that first question about, you know, there's just so many unknowns going into this year. We don't know what it's going to look like if a classmate comes down with the virus. Um, and so I think, you know, we're just going to have to roll with the punches and figure out the best solutions we can as it happens. And um I don't know. It's going to be an interesting school year, y'all. And it feels, <laughs> yeah, to say the least, uh, and it feels like we're, you know, the timing here is is not the greatest. You know, as we're about mm -hmm. to start back to school, we have this incredibly transmissible, very fast spreading mm -hmm. Delta variant that is uh, really easy to catch uh, if you listen to the medical professionals. And yet we look at what the vaccination rates are here in mm -hmm. our state and, and it's not it's not high. It's not. Um, and I, I saw a report this morning about, you know, someone just urging the, the um, CDC to approve those or the FDA to approve those vaccines so that people would have more comfort with them. But, you know, I my kiddo's 10. She's not eligible for a vaccine. And so she's going to go back without um, that even being an option. But um, it, it's, uh, you know, and then you look at the, the vaccines that uh, the immunizations that kiddos are behind on in general, not just the COVID vaccine, you know, that we need to catch those kiddos up as well and see and um, figure out solutions around how to ha make that happen and overcome some of those barriers. Um, so it's, it's, it's a really big problem and it's got, you know, multi, we're going to need multi-pronged solutions for it. 
What do you want to see happen right now? We're closing in on the start of school. Parents have a lot of questions. The governor says no one can wear masks. No one can can mandate that masks be worn. Schools can say, yeah, please wear them. But considering that that change that you're able to uh, to, to enact there at, at your level, you know, whose door are you knocking on first? What do you want to see done? It's tough this summer. Um, there's no really great options for a policy solution. There's no one size fits all. Um, it'll be the first time that all of our campuses have had, you know, 100% kids back on campus. And so we've never seen what that looks like yet. And so I think there's just a lot of questions about how we make it work. I know parents are, um, you know, kind of split on the mask issue. And those that, that want their kids to wear masks, they've kind of accepted that the governor's made that mandate. But now it comes down to how are their children going to be treated on campus if they are wearing masks and what can campuses do to protect those kiddos and how can we teach our kids to respect everybody's own personal choices? And, um, you know, no parent wants to set their kid up to be teased, but if that's a a real belief for them that they need to wear those masks, it's a tough situation. It's a whole nother level of anxiety, I think, for parents to to deal with as they're putting their kids back on campus. Uh, Going back to that uh, lack of guidance that we see coming from the state or not coming from the state in this in this case are you surprised at that uh, considering that, that we are this far into this pandemic that we went through this sort of test year last year it was like one big experiment and sort of felt our way through the dark and uh, then we had a summer to reset and and here we are uh, going into another year feeling like uh, there's a lot of blanks to be filled in yeah i think it i i think i, I was surprised around the the lack of um, guidance for school districts around how, well, to be frankly honest, I was surprised that virtual learning went away. (laughs) Mm. I thought that we'd have at least another um, semester maybe or year of having that option funded. Uh, And so that was a big surprise, I think, to a lot of parents that that funding for virtual camp for virtual school just went away. We'd actually made a request for the governor to put it on the special session. We sent him a letter asking him to put that on the, uh, the call for the special session. But, um, because, you know, there are still a, a good number of families who have legitimate medical concerns around putting their kids back on campus. Um, so I think it, uh, we've been surprised a lot this summer about the choices that were made. And um, now we just have to try and make the best of it and um, do what we can to keep kids safe. Susie, I can sense some hesitation in your voice. What are you most concerned about uh, as we go into the start of school? I think... Um, I'm most concerned about um, just kids getting back into the rhythm of being on campus. I'm for my personal concern. I'm concerned my my child is in one of those. Uh, my youngest is in one of those transition years, going from elementary to middle, and those are tough years to begin with. That's hard. And yeah, and to not have had some of that prep that goes on at the end of the school year. You know, taking tours and having mentors and just getting just having that kind of connection with the, the campus that's coming up, missing all of that. Um, it's it's you know, she's got some anxiety, which gives me some anxiety. Uh, so I think there's just, you know, we're just worried about kids getting back into the rhythm of, of being around their peers and um, and actually, you know, being around their teachers um, acting appropriately, well, not acting out in the wrong ways. Yeah. Just, what is your daughter saying to you about about going into the start of school? So she's um, she's got a couple of changes. She has to go into standardized dress. So she's worked up about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then she's also um, just anxious about what being on that campus looks like. You know, it combines multiple schools. 
um, lots of new faces, um, teachers she's not comfortable with and just, you know, knowing the campus and getting around. And we don't know what Meet the Teacher Nights are going to look like this year either. We don't know if we're going to be able to tour campuses and kind of walk their schedule with them. And um, so so there's just a lot of unknowns. And, and she feels that too. I try not to voice those concerns around her because I don't want to feed into that. I want her to be comfortable and confident going into the year. But you know, they sense it in themselves. And layered on top of all of that, is she concerned about COVID and masks and that sort of thing? Or is that more mom's concern right now? So it's interesting you ask that because we, um, I, I am immunocompromised. I have um, rheumatoid arthritis, but she, um, so she wore a mask. We had her wear a mask at the beginning of the school year. I sent her back last August. And, um, and then after I got vaccinated, I told her, you know, baby, you don't have to wear a mask anymore. And she actually continued to wear a mask for the rest of the year of her own volition. Mm. Um, so she's gotten a little bit past that. Um, and, uh, we'll go out now without a mask, but, um, I think she'll go back without one and be comfortable. Um, it was funny at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, we're right on the edge of Dallas County and Collin County. And I would ask Shelby, you know, do you want to run to the store or whatever? And she'd go, are you going right or left? Because right meant masks, left's meant no masks. Hmm. <laughs> so it was funny how quickly they picked up on that. Since you're the president of, of the statewide uh, PTA, I'm curious what you're hearing from parents, um, because a lot of parents have had to go back to work. Mm-hmm. And if for whatever reason their child has to be out of school for, you know, 10 days, whether they're they're close to someone who has the virus, if they have to be quarantined, what's going to happen? What, what's going to happen to those parents? Because they can't take time off work, I'm sure, but their child is going to be at home. So, you know, something's got to give, right? Yeah, it's a real concern. And it's I think a lot of parents are very fearful that employers aren't going to be as um, lenient with working from home as they have been in the past, as, you know, because they're getting folks back onto their into their workplaces. Um, and not just that parents can't take off work, but what do kids do during those 10 days? If, if parents are working from home and there's no virtual learning component, you know, asynchronous or synchronous, what what do kids like the kids going to be bugging the parents while the parents trying to work and everybody's going to be driving everybody crazy? It just is just seems like a recipe for disaster. Mm-hmm. Or is <laughs> this kid going to be home alone? You know, the parents are at yes. work and the, and the kid doesn't know which way to turn necessarily with instruction. And if you don't have that virtual backup, what do you do there? I mean, we saw with the virtual backup last year, how many kids fell behind. What happens sure. now? I don't know. I, I'm actually more worried about this year and that situation than I was last year, because at least Last year, there was a put, you know, we had um, either asynchronous or synchronous. Some, a lot of kids were home alone, but they had to check in online with teachers. So at least, you know, you knew if they were absent or not. Um, but this year, you know, sending them home for 10 days, even if you give them a bunch of worksheets, what are they learning? It feels a lot more like last March mm-hmm. than it does now, except parents won't be home as well. It's, it's a big fear. Um, you know, I don't know how we... I don't know how we work around that, how we get employers to be a little more. It's it's kind of like virtual learning. We just thought we'd have six months or a year left to like we're not done with the pandemic. And so, you know, how do we get employers to understand that those are going to be real issues for their parents? Susie, we just got off the line with uh, Dr. Michael Hinojosa, the superintendent at Dallas ISD. He said that Dallas ISD is going to use federal funds mm-hmm. to hire eighteen hundred tutors. Ooh. Um, something that, that it hasn't done before to help make sure kids get caught up. If my kids aren't in Dallas ISD, what, what would, you know, what would you suggest that I ask my district or my campus or my principal uh, to, to help make sure my kid is, uh, you know, where he or she should be? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how school districts use those, um, those federal funds to, to close those learning gaps. We know they're huge. 
Um, we know those learning gaps are very broad, and um, I, I love that Dr. Hinojosa is doing that. And I also heard they're they're standing up some virtual a virtual academy in Dallas ISD as well, which is just amazing. Um, you know, using either state dollars or if they can't get those uh, their federal funds. Um, but each school district should have a plan in place, and so parents need to reach out to the school districts to find out exactly what that plan looks like and how they can get in on that um, to make sure that their kids are getting the 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 help that they need to catch up. I think there were a lot of uh, remote learners last year who didn't take the STAR test. And so some campuses, you know, are going to be trying to figure out where those learning gaps actually exist for them. You know, we we tend to like at PTA, we like um, tests that are given multiple times throughout the year so that we can track how kids are learning and their progress over the year. So I, I think there's going to be a lot of that at the beginning of the year just to see where kids truly are and then um, figuring out how we can move them forward. But school districts should have a plan in place about how to use those ESSER funds to, to get kids caught up. So we've talked about the P in PTA. Let's talk about the T now, the teachers. Um, we, we've gone through the parents. Um, you speak with a lot of teachers. You know mm-hmm. what's going on with them. Some districts are doing a better job at retaining them right now than others. They had a really rough year last year. It's tough on our educators. <laughs> a lot of them have opted out uh, and, mm-hmm. and decided to go pursue another line of work. What are you seeing as far as that is concerned when you look statewide? I think school districts fared differently across the board in that respect. Um, I know we've lost, in my school district, we, at one campus, we lost a lot over the summer. It's And we lost a few who just kind of gave up in the middle year and retired because they were just like, gosh, this is this is not, this remote thing is not what I signed up for. Mm-hmm. Um and so I think the first thing that we need to do is make sure that the ones that are coming back are taken care of and that they have the supports that they need. So we don't lose them. Right. We need to, to make sure we keep the ones that we do have. Um, I'm hopeful maybe in the future that some of the ones that left us will come back once we kind of get back to a more normal um, teaching environment. But it was a lot to ask of teachers and it was a lot to ask of teachers with no notice. And I think they did, um, you know, a phenomenal job. Um, coming up with from scratch what what that virtual learning experience would look like. Um, but I do worry about their their making sure that they're doing self-care, they have their mental health needs met, um, and that we have, um, you know, we talk about wraparound services for our kiddos, but it'd be nice to have some wraparound services for our teachers to make sure that they are taken care of. Um, because, you know, thankfully we have them, because I, I know I'm not a teacher. When March came around and I had to, like, fill gaps, I was completely stressed. I didn't know how to do it. It was just, I saw these both. Pinterest right. people that were doing all these crazy things. And I'm like, I can't do that. Gives you all new appreciation, doesn't it? hundred percent. A hundred percent. I need a Pinterest account evidently because I was, I was as stressed as you were. Susie. It was a mess. Well, hey, what are you guys going to be watching for in the first couple of weeks uh, of school? What, what are the, the benchmarks that y'all are looking at? So I know we're asking PTAs to really focus in on um, uh, meeting with their administration a few weeks in to see what um, what needs there are that we can help fulfill. Um, you know, we don't like like what what do you think some needs might be? I mean, so we know that there was a, supplies. Yeah, there was a there was a, a huge economic impact. So um, do do kids need school supplies? Do they need clothes? Do they need you know a lot of our PTAs across the state have clothes closets. Is it food? Are, is your school district still providing free breakfast and lunch? If not, how can we fill some of those gaps? You know, how can we get them um, connected to a food bank if the PTA is not providing one? Um, so, so some of those tangible needs, um, you know, those are great things for PTAs to um, to bridge. 
So um, we're really just trying to get through the first couple of weeks and see what the truth, because, you know, you don't want to throw a solution at a problem that doesn't exist. So we're going to wait and see what what their needs are. Lawmakers do that all the time. (laughs) Come on, lawmakers do that all the time. Throw something out, Susie. Give us something. Give us something. So hopefully there are some, um, I know there will be some needs that we can help meet. And so that's what we're going to focus on. It sounds like you're uh, about to head into, though, a very, very busy few weeks and months. Mm -hmm. Yes, we have, um, you know, with the school year starting and then we're having our biggest um, uh, leadership conference next weekend in Dallas. Uh, We have about 1,600, almost 1,700 PTA leaders from across the state that we're having come in and try and get them ready for the year. Um, you know, we have classes on uh, student mental health, teacher mental health, um, all the things that they're going to need to be successful going back. We hope they get this next weekend so that we have them prepared for the next few weeks. You know, it's been a long time since we've been on campus. It's been since spring break of, you know, 2020. So we're excited to get back um, back on campus. I'm sorry, it'd be 20 March of 19. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, we're excited to get back on campus. We're excited to be able to offer teachers support that we haven't been able to offer them in a year and a half um, to take some of the workload off their plates where we can. And, um, and yeah, it's going to be busy, but that's what we're in it for. We're doers, um, not, not watchers. So we're excited to, to get in there. Thank you so much for the time. We we really appreciate the insight. And and, uh, you know what? Once the school uh, school starts here in the next next few weeks, uh, as they start across the state, I'm sure we'll probably give you a call back to see how things are are kind of unfolding. But uh, fingers crossed on our end. Absolutely. Yes. I think it's going to be a great year. We just have to get through the start of it to figure out what it's going to look like. And um, I know our kids are excited to be back on campus. Parents are excited for their kids to get back in the classroom and start learning again. So I think it's going to be a good year. Yeah, so, you know, as a dad, my fingers are crossed going into uh, this school year here. I, I, I feel confident that uh, my, my campus will handle things fine. I'm going to send my kids uh, back to school. They're in elementary school, but I'll send them back to school in masks. Mm. But, but I am a little concerned. Um, I think things will be fine, but I'm a little concerned to see how things play out just because cases are going up right now. I think that, you know, the, the whole thing comes down to, you know, we you prepare as a parent, you think that your school is prepared, your district is prepared, whatever. Uh, I think it all comes down to the, the unknowns, you know, as uh, we've learned so much uh, in this whole process since this pandemic began. Uh, just when you think you've got a handle on this, it, it, it takes a new turn. And so I think that that's what it is, the, the sort of fear of the unknown. Yeah, no, no doubt. I am encouraged that, that Dallas ISD is using some of the federal money that it got uh, to hire 1,800 tutors. Yeah. That's, That's 147,000 total students, but 1,800 tutors, as Dr. Hinojosa said, is, is a lot of tutors, a hell of a lot more than they normally hire each year to at least catch so many of these kids up who need Which it. is an interesting workaround when you look at it, Jason, because we, we, as we talked about, you know, there's this sort of difference of philosophy when you go from the state level down to the local level in some cases, uh, where some of these districts are saying, you know, man, our hands are tied. We can't mandate masks. We can't do these other things because we've been told that we can't by the state. But interestingly, uh, a lot of these districts are awash in federal money now that has come along, mm-hmm. this COVID-19 relief money that has gone uh, to these districts. And so they have some options to be able to go, well, you know, if we feel like our hands are tied in this way, we can always use some of our money now. We don't have to rely on the state to give us the funding to do this, that, and the other. And, and, and I thought it was interesting that he's talking about this, you know, 
perhaps go it alone approach on having that virtual option available as well. If the state won't approve it and give them the funding to be able to do those virtual classrooms, he says, we'll just, you know, dip into our own funding to get that. So that COVID relief funding, you're seeing the the real effect of that at the local level there where they can start to kind of make some decisions and not be so dependent on the state to approve everything. Yeah, let's just hope that, that things do work out uh, decent here in the coming weeks as kids go back to school, as teachers go back to schools, faculty and staff and, and all the support staff who, who work with uh, with both of them return to the campus. I, I'm just excited that you're back, man. So uh, you can take uh, you know half the load off of me since I had to, to cover for you so much while you were gone. Well, I'm sure so, that you'll uh, be. Uh, I remember those old schoolyard days. Uh, I'm sure that you'll be the person uh, very soon who'll be jumping off of the seesaw unannounced, uh, and I'll be the one crashing down. I, I, I can't imagine <laughs> that you already don't have a vacation planned in the back of your head. So uh, you know, payback will be held. It, 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 yeah, in, indeed so. So Wheeler's back. We appreciate you guys joining us as always. And we'll see you again next week with another episode of Yolitics. Yolitics.